0: We are starting a brand new sermon series called "The Best Week Ever." And we're going to take a look, just real simply, uh, at, at the final week of Jesus' life, right up until e- Easter's coming in about six weeks. And so we're going to take a journey with Easter uh, through what I, with Jesus through what I believe is, is one of the worst weeks in the history of the world for somebody. Like He experienced some awful things. But, but I think he went through these things to show us that we can go through them and come out on the other side because he was victorious. On the other side of the cross, he rose from the dead. And so I think he went through these things to, to show us that we could come out on the, on the other side. And so we're, we're going to kind of go through this last week. And so I'm going to jump right into today's message uh, for time's sake. And, and today we're going to look at day one, which was, was the Sunday before... Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we refer to it often in the church as the triumphal entry, the triumphal entry. For the next few weeks, we're going to look at different things. We're going to take a look at when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Uh, we're going to take a look at, at when Judas betrayed uh, Jesus. We're going to take a look at when Jesus clears the temple next week. He, he, he went after the religious people in a few weeks. We're going to take a look at the parable uh, of the fig tree and kind of take a look at that. But, but today, we're going to jump into what is what is known as the triumphal Entry, and here's the cool thing about the triumphal entry, it's a pretty significant event and we know it is because all four gospel writers wrote about it. And so if you don't know anything about the Bible, there's two parts of the Bible. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. The Bible was not written by one man in a cave somewhere, one woman in a cave. It was actually written by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages over the span of 1600 years. It's an incredible book. It has two parts. It has the Old Testament, 39 books, and then there's 500 years of silence and then the New Testament is written, and the New Testament is all about the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were just books written by men trying to document the life of Christ, and then the rest of the New Testament is all about how they spread the message of Jesus Christ, and so we technically are still living the story of Jesus in in the New Testament because we are a church trying to reach people with the gospel of, of, of Jesus, and so if, if they write something in these books and it's all in every book then you can understand it's pretty significant because what they did is they documented things that they thought were important and so oftentimes if you read the gospels just like if me and you wrote about something that we saw if we both went to the grand canyon we would both document different different uh, things different insight we might both see you know this big hole in the ground but one of us might write about how scared we were and one of us might write about how beautiful it is and so i would probably write how scared i was because i'm a sissy and so like that's kind of where we land so they write about things that are similar, but from different perspectives. But for this, they all write about it in a pretty similar manner. They share different details, but it's pretty significant that that it's in the story. And so this is what the Bible says in John chapter 12, verse number 12. And and I want you to, to, to remember with me that the people that lived at this time, they were Jewish people, and Jesus is going into Jerusalem, they're Jewish people, and they are desperately waiting for a political leader to come save them. They're living under Roman authority, Romans are mean, they're crucifying people, they're causing them to pay taxes, and they're living under this tyranny, and they are desperately waiting, they've been waiting for years, thousands of years, for, for a savior to come and rescue them. And so when Jesus comes in, what they're doing is they're saying, this is finally, this is finally it. This guy's going to come in, he's going to knock out the Romans, he's going to do damage to what they do, he's going to set himself a throne up, and we will finally get what God has promised. And so that's kind of the background of this story. John chapter 12, verse number 12 says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus finds a young donkey and sits on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things, they, they had to be done. Now the crowd that was with them when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees, the religious people, said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is going after Jesus. They're all worshiping Jesus. And so when I was studying this, because honestly, we don't have like a theme where we're just going to kind of go through a parenting theme, I, I just want to get in- involved in the story. There was so much. Uh, information in different ways you could take this story. Like, for instance, the Jewish people for years, and this was actually the week they were celebrating it back in the Bible, they had celebrated something called the Passover feast. The Passover feast is a remembrance. It's a national holiday where the Jewish people would remember from thousands of years earlier how they were enslaved to the Egyptians. And God brought plagues upon the Egyptians to say, let my people go. You remember the man named Moses. Maybe you've seen, seen the movie. And God said, let my people go. And he wouldn't. And so finally, the last plague was when, when he, he sent the angel of death through the, 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 the area of Egypt. And the firstborn son of every family was killed unless you spread the blood of a, of a lamb that you sacrifice to the Lord on, on, your, on your doorway. So every year, the, the, the Jewish people would celebrate this. They would, they would reenact this. And what they would do is they would go out into, into an area, and they would pick out a lamb, and they would parade these lambs on this Sunday into the, into the city. And on Friday, they would sacrifice all these lambs in remembrance of that, that holy moment in the history. And so what was so cool is Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And on the very same day that these Jewish people are parading this, these lambs into the city, you can just imagine, that's what lambs make. Bah, I don't know what they make. They're going in to die here comes the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God coming in at the exact same time. I thought that was pretty neat, but I didn't feel like God wanted me to preach on that. Another thing that was cool is if you've grown up in church, you know Palm Sunday, they always get the palm branches to the, to the kids, and it's really sweet, and it's, and it's cute. Actually, at that time, palm branches were illegal in Jerusalem, and here's why. Because a group called the Zealots, who wanted to fight the Romans, they would wave those and they would shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, and it meant God save us. Let's kill the Romans. And so they weren't doing this peaceful like Hosanna. What they were saying is go get them, Jesus. Go go kill him, Jesus. Go, go destroy him, Jesus. So I thought that was, was interesting as well. Another thing that was cool is I thought, I thought that, that this was a really neat uh, a background is Jesus read on an a untamed donkey, the, 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 the colt of a donkey, a, a kid donkey that wasn't ever ridden. And, and I studied it a little bit, and they said, you know, uh, back in the day, people didn't do that because if, if the donkey got spooked, he would, he would kick Jesus off, and that would not go good in the story of, uh, of the gospel. And so what was so interesting is that that, that, that unridden, untamed donkey, Jesus rode it through that crowd, and the, and the donkey wasn't spooked at all. It was almost as, as if uh, the message was, hey, if you ride with Jesus through life, if you allow him to be your Lord and your Savior, nothing is going to come your way that is going to spook you, cause anxiety and worry and fear. So that was cool too, but, but I'm not going to preach on that. I want to take a different approach today. You ever been really disappointed in your life? Like you have a really high expectation of something, you get there and you're disappointed. I've told you before, that's how I feel about Disney World. Like it looks so fun, you drive in a happy place on earth, it's, people are miserable there, kids are crying, everybody's sweating, it's hot, you know. This week I had a really disappointing moment in my household. I walked home, my wife, sometimes she bakes, right? And so I walked in and she had in this little, this little Ziploc bag, she had brownies. I mean, I love, them. like brownies are, are my, are like, if you make brownies, I could eat the whole batch of them in one setting. You give me, you give me a gallon of milk, you give me brownies, I'm good to go, right? Like, I don't even need a I meal. So she made brownies, she's cooking dinner, and I go into it and I sneak a brownie, right? Because I'm like, these look delicious. And I take a bite of the brownie. You ever bitten something that looked good that was disgusting? I bit into this thing. It was like, oh, it's going to be so good. And it literally tasted like cardboard, right? And so I'm like, what'd you do? I think you forgot, like, the sugar in these brownies. They look like brownies. You know, they walk like brownies. They talk like brownies. But these are not brownies. And she said, yeah, they're healthy brownies. They're made with, like, coconut flour and, you know, apple, apple cin- cinnamon vi- vinegar, whatever the heck that crap smells like feet. You know what I'm talking about? And so, like, that stuff. And I was like, these are disgusting. She's like, I know. I don't know why you're eating them. I wasn't planning on eating them. I was just letting them set, set out. And I'm like, why would you let them sit out if nobody's going to eat them? Because now you have completely disappointed me. <laughs> like I have my hopes really high, and then I've been completely disappointed. You ever hear people say something like this? People will let you down. But God never will. It's true-ish. It's true, ish Like people will let you down, we know that, and sometimes God will too. Some of you are like, on on the daylight time, we lose This is what you're going with. <laughs> the story of the triumphal entry is a story about God disappointing the expectations of the people, because if you stay with me for a week. I mean, one one Sunday, the dude is the king of the world. I mean, he is coming into Jerusalem. People are flocking to see him. They're waving palm branches. They're saying, let's go attack the Romans. Let's get your throne set up. Let's do all this. And a few days later on a Friday, it's not even been a week. There might never have been a turn uh, like this in the history of mankind, especially in a a public figure. Like in one week, not even, in five days, the people that are saying, we love you, we love you, we love you, are now shouting, crucify you. Crucify him. Kill him. So the question becomes, why? And the answer is, he disappointed them. I mean, could you imagine he comes walking in most most conquering kings ride in on a, on a horse. Jesus comes in on a baby donkey. I mean, I don't even know how that thing was. I've went on, like, donkey rides before. You ever been on those? It's so It's a waste of money. You go around in a circle. Did you imagine a grown man? I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. He was a man's man on a, on a baby donkey coming in. I mean, I think the people would have been like, all right, I guess. I mean, dude raised somebody from the dead yesterday, so I guess he can do whatever he wants. But Really? It's not like Jesus couldn't find a horse. In fact, it says in the book of Revelation that he's coming back one day on a white horse. All tattooed up, the ruling and risen Savior, the King, the Judge. But this time he comes in, and I think they were like, well, whatever. But then it was like clear. You know, one day passes, you're not going to start a war here. Two day passes, and you're, you're at the temple, and you're clearing stuff out, and you're supposed to be fighting against the Romans. A couple days after that, Wednesday, we don't even know what went on. It's kind of quiet in Scripture. Thursday, you're having a supper with your friends and you're washing their feet. You yell at the one guy who has a sword, and then you let him kill you. You're completely disappointing my expectations. you ever been there with God? See, from time to time to time, God will disappoint your expectations. There's going to be times that you expected him to do something. I expect you to heal me. I expect you to fix my marriage. I expect you to make my kids perfect. I expected you to give me that job that that I wanted. I I expect it. And from time to time, he's going to disappoint you. In fact, I'll say it like this. As much as it pleases God to bless you with a yes, there will be other times where he will be okay with disappointing you with a no. As much as God enjoys... Giving you a yes where you go, yes, thank you, God. There's other times God is so confident in who he is and being not only the savior of your life, but he is the Lord. And I want to tell you something. He does not need your permission to do anything in your life. There's other times where he's going to step back and he's going to say, absolutely not. And here, here's, here's a couple different way, reasons he does that. Because I think, I think some of you are like, Man, this, is, you're, this is awful. I hate this message. But here's where disappointment happens. You ready? I'm going to give it to you. And then we're going to give you three reasons that he disappoints you. Here's here's where disappointment happens. And stick with me. Don't tune me out. You know, don't hate me yet. Disappointment happens when your desires of God hinder God's desires for you. Disappointment happens at the crossroads of when your desires of God, God do this, God do that, hinder God's not only desire, but God's design For your life. Because God will never give you something that will hinder, hold, or hurt his plan for you. He is too loving. He is too confident. He's not an insecure parent in heaven going, okay, if I say no to you, you are going to have a temper tantrum? He could care less. You're not going to embarrass him. You're not going to sway him. Why? He loves you too much. So let me give you three times that God will 100% disappoint you. You ready? Number one was this. God will disappoint you when what you want will cause you suffering. Think about it. If Jesus would have given these people what they wanted, many of them would have died. Just flat out. Many of them would have died. They They would have suffered. And I can't tell you how many times in my life that I look back. And here's the problem with so many of you. You don't realize you would have suffered until you go a year out into it. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've asked God for something, and he has disappointed me only to look back and say, thank you, you didn't give me that. Thank you, you didn't allow that in my life. Thank you that, that you didn't do what I asked you to. I'll give you an example. When I moved here in 2005, I moved at the height of the, the housing market. You, you guys are old enough to remember that. Those You know, when in 2005, like, houses were ridiculously expensive. So let me give you a little background. I moved from Oklahoma. Oklahoma, my first house was $108,000. My payment was $700 a month. My taxes were $1,000 a year. Eat your heart out, right? I had a three-bedroom house, brick house, two-car garage, ping-pong table in one side. I was 24 years old, I was set, I was happy, I was comfortable, and God called me to Pennsylvania. And I wanted the same style of living that I had in Oklahoma, so I began to look at houses, and I could not fathom that houses were $200,000 that had wood paneling, no HVAC. Oil, heat, hadn't been touched since 1970. This is before that vintage was in style. Orange shag carpet, You you know the houses, somebody's died in it, you know they had the thing, like... So you walk into these houses, and I'm not lying to you, the pressure of, of buying a house, you'd walk in, and you would look at it, and, and the real, your real estate would walk with you. And then when you were done, they would go, you want it? Put an offer on it. You, you better put an offer on it before you, you even leave, because somebody's waiting to put an offer on it. And we, I could not, fa- I'm like, I can't spend $200,000 for this. I, I can't do it. And then, then the only other house that we could afford was a, was a, was a row home, a, a, a townhouse. And in and, and, and Oklahoma, you're not connected to anybody. Your house could be there and you might not see anybody for a year, right? So my wife was like, wait, you, you pay all the money and then you got to be connected to somebody? I'm like, yeah, that's the way it is in Pennsylvania. We're super, super happy, right? Might be why we're unhappy because people are always up in your business, right? Trying to go to sleep and you're, you know, you're listening to somebody's fight or something else, right? And so, you know what I'm talking about if you've ever lived in a townhouse. I've lived in one for eight years. I know what it's like. Everybody knows your business. Know when you're yelling at your kids, fighting with your wife, everything else, making babies, everything like that. So, too much, right? So in 2005, I was devastated because we could not find a house anywhere. We ended up moving into an apartment, and I, I remember being like angry at God. Why would you bring me here? And I can't even find a house. I'm living in an apartment. My life's going backwards. Because we're American, we only go up. Start apartment, starter home, dog, baby, you know, second home, mansion, right? That's how we live in the in, 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 in United States of America. So I'm not going starter home and then apartment, right? And I was disappointed at God until as, as, as an adult, you know, right? as a 28, 29 year old, I look back and now I'm 37 and I, and I realize, man, if I would have bought that house, a good shot I would have been stuck there right now. Because I would have bought it at the height of the real estate market. And then something happened in 2008. Everything went poof. And I had a bunch of friends that I knew that they had bought when the house was worth $200,000. And now it's worth one sixty. dollars And guess what that means? You're stuck. And I would have been stuck there. And I wouldn't have been able to move to Phoenixville and start, and start the campus in, at the Colonial Theater. And all this other stuff would have happened. But here's the thing about it. Is God in that moment had to disappoint me. He had to look at my life and go, man, if I give you that, it might be means for for suffering in your future. It might be means for pain. And so I am perfectly okay in this moment to disappoint you because I don't want you to suffer later. I read these to you a few months ago, but I'm going to read them to you again. And I think they're so good. I put in my notes, God, he never says wait without a different way. He doesn't say yes unless it's 100% his best. And he doesn't say no unless you still need to go. If you asked according to God's will and it's not made its way to you, then there's a better way God is making for you, a better who God is bringing to you, and a better where God is taking you. Here's why. His no is never rejection. His no is never punishment. His no is always protection. I'll 100% disappoint you. So here's the thing. When God gives you a no, if you're in a disappointing season right now, and you go, man, maybe he's trying to save me from suffering. Maybe I've been praying for a, for a spouse and he hasn't brought it. He's trying to save you from some, some suffering. Not because you are automatically suffer when you get married. But if you get married in the state that you are, being attracted to who you're attracted to, dating and, and settling for who you're going to settle for, not a Christian guy or a girl, guess what? I can tell you what's running after you. It's not, it's not anything else but suffering. I've seen it too many times. So God's saying no. No, why? He doesn't want you to, to suffer. And here's the thing. When God says no to you, instead of complaining about it, send in a big old thank you because he is simply protecting you from less than his best. Thank you, God. In, 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 fact, in fact, the thing I love about God the most and the reason you can trust him with this is because he knows everything. You know he sees into the future. You know the story of, of him getting this donkey. Do you know he knows the donkey's already going to be there? It's not like his disciples looked around and that's all they could find. Right? That's it. That's, that would be like me saying, you go get a car and you can't find one. There's cars everywhere. Just pick one. It's not like they walked around and couldn't find a horse. Jesus, very specifically, in, another, in the book of Matthew, he says, go here and there's going to be a donkey. It's cool. Take it. I used to think Jesus told him to steal it, but I think Jesus knew the people because I don't think Jesus was a thief. <laughs> steal the donkey. I need it, right? He, he knows that the, the donkey is there. A few days later, he looks at Peter and he says, hey, by the way, tonight... You're going to deny me three times. He he knows your your future. He can be trusted with your future. He has already written out, documented, and detailed every moment uh, of your life. And you can trust him with this. And the truth is, sometimes God allows momentary pain to detour you from a lifetime of suffering. He allows it into your life because he doesn't want you to suffer. Some of you are going through painful stuff right now, and you're going, God, why are you allowing that? God is protecting you from a lifetime of suffering. A few years ago, I had a buddy uh, that, was, that was pretty heavily involved in, in this church. He was, he was one of my friends. And for some reason, he started walking away from the, the things of God. He started having an affair on his, his spouse. No conversation would, 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 would change his mind. One day, in the midst of this, this sin, and I'm pretty sure that if you walk away from your spouse and you're having a, an affair and you're walking in sin, that if you die, you go to hell. That God gives you grace for when you sin, but grace is not there so you can sin. So I'm pretty sure he wasn't walking in relationship with Jesus Christ at that moment, and it broke m- my heart. And the truth is, there was no swaying him. He was walking in sin, and one day he was out riding his, his bike, his, his, his road bike, and he's coming down a hill. And he has a pretty bad accident with a car. He doesn't die, but he's in the hospital, and I go visit him. He's a, he's, he has his hands all, all bandaged up, and he's, he's all beat up. You know who wasn't there? The woman he had been having an affair with it was his wife. I couldn't believe it. I was like, "This is your opportunity. Smack him." And in that moment, I looked at him and, and, and I thought to myself, this is God's grace to you. He's going to give you a few moments of, of pain. To save you from a lifetime of suffering and you know what happened in that moment I'm not sure because he doesn't come to church here anymore but as, as I follow him on on his Facebook page and see what's going on in his life God has restored his marriage he now has a he has a baby with his wife and I'm I i do not know if their marriage is perfect but I know that their marriage is in a whole lot healthier place than it was and I'm assuming he is too and it was in that one moment of grace but grace came as pain and oftentimes, God will allow a moment of pain to come into your life to save you from a lifetime of suffering, and he has no problem disappointing you with that. Here, here's another one. Number two is, 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 he has no problem disappointing you when what you want will lead to you settling. He, he has no problem disappointing you when what you want will lead to settling. You ever been to St. Pete's? You walk into St. Pete's, and, and, and there's, if you don't know what St. Pete's is, is this, this, this river, this creek, I don't know what it's called, Crick creek. creek stream there's all these big rocks in it you jump from rock to rock it's really an incredible place i have no idea how they got the rocks got there i'm sure there's a way or something like that but they're there and it's free so i take my kids there from time to time and so we went there for the first time last year, me and my three boys, and we get there. And I, 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 don't, I had not been there for years, and I wasn't really familiar with what's going on. And so we get there, and, and I know that if you keep walking, you, you eventually get to a swimming area, right? You get to like a, a somebody told me, you get to a swimming area, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a slide there that was made. It's really cool, a, a rope swing, all this stuff. But my kids, naturally, they just kept wanting to stop. This is as good as it's going to get. This rock right here is as good as it's going to get. And i was saying, no, 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 keep skipping. We're not to the, to the water yet. And they would go a couple more, and they would whine, because that's what kids do. This is good enough. We see the water. It's great. I would say, no, no, couple more rocks. I got Harrison in my hand. I don't know if you, I'm trying to carry him across rocks. I'm not the most limber person in, in, in the world. You know, I think, and, and so they're running around, and every couple feet, this is good enough. No, we haven't got to the slide yet. And every time I told them, no, you know what they did? Just got disappointed, upset, you're mean, you make us go too far. You're, I'm telling mom. <laughs> you know how kids do, little boys, right? I'm like, I don't care about you. I'm not scared of your mom. She's not here, is she? Right? <laughs> so we just kept going. And through all the disappointment, eventually we, we got to the, to the spot where you slide down. And they had a great time in the, in the rope swing. We didn't do that because, you know, they're, they're too little. But we watched people do that. And we had a great time. But if I would have let them, they would have stopped way far away from it. Because I don't care if I disappoint them in the moment, because I'm not going to let them settle, I kept making them go. The same thing is true of God. He refuses to sit back and allow you to settle for anything that is beside his best in your life. You know how much thought he put into your life? You realize how much work? I know some of you think you're an accident, you you evolved from an animal over time, and you're just kind of here. I don't believe that about you. I believe what the Word of God says about you, that, that God is obsessed w- with you, that He created you, that He formed you. In fact, it says that in the book of 1 of Psalms 139, and I love to read it. I think it's so good. It says this, "For you created my inmost be- being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes. They saw my unformed body. I love this. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them all. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. God has been thinking about your life before you were ever even a thought in your parents' parents' heads. He has written out, ordained the days step by step, and it's a good plan. The Bible says it's an immeasurably more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine plan. And He refuses, even if it's going to disappoint you, to let you settle. You know how many times I've been disappointed in God over the last ten years of my ministry? Actually, ever since I started pastoring. There was a time in my life where I thought I was going to come home to Pennsylvania and be a youth pastor for my parents, and it didn't work out. I was devastated. A few years later, I thought I was going to come back and be part of a new church plan in Quakertown, and it didn't work out. I was devastated. I tried to get a church at one of my the churches that I love to follow, Life Church. They never even gave me a second interview. I was devastated. When we moved here for the first few years. We had no idea what we were doing, and we tried to find building after building after building. And at every step of the road there was disappointment. You know why I was disappointed at all those times? Because I was trying to settle. I wanted the known when God wants me to walk on the unknown. I wanted to stay in the boat when God has called me to walk on water. Same thing is true for you. He will always be okay because he is your Lord, not just your Savior. He has created you. He will be okay with you not settling. You know why there was such a big crowd that following, following Jesus that day at the triumphal entry? Because the day before, he had risen Lazarus from the dead. You know, you know what that family wanted him to do? They wanted Jesus to arrive a day or two earlier and just heal him from being sick. So their expectations in that moment is they just wanted Jesus to do a miracle of bringing somebody health. Jesus disappointed them in that moment and was late so that he could bring them back to life. Oftentimes the expectations you have from God are too small. They're too little. If the dream that you're living, if the plan that you have, if the purpose that you're pursuing is anything is going to be anything but as a result of a God-sized miracle in your life, then you are settling. You're slapping the great God that created you in a great way in the face. He's an immeasurably more you could ever ask, dream, or imagine God, and he has no problem disappointing you when you're going to settle. And lastly, number three, he has no problem disappointing you when what you want becomes more significant than who he is. Why did these people follow, follow Jesus? Because what they wanted was going to be more significant than who he was. And this is what we do all the time. I'm going to follow you as long as you give me this. I'm going to follow you as long as you do this for me. As long as you give me a boyfriend or a girlfriend in the first couple of weeks I go to church, I'm going to follow you. As long as when I start tithing and you give me a raise the next day, I'm going to give. I'll wake up early as long as you give me that extra hour of sleep back. I'll follow you until it, until it hurts. It's these people. You know what the problem with these people are? They weren't going to change the world with Jesus. Crowds never change the world, churches do. They were going to follow Jesus until it got, it got easy. Jesus was not the greatest thing in their life. It was what he could do for them. And so what I found in my own life is oftentimes, there's competing treasures in my own heart. See, see, when I should be more concerned about my walk with Christ than I am about the outcome of what God does in my life, then what I have is competing treasures. And when God is not my highest good, when the relationship I have with Jesus is not the best and most important thing in my life, everything else crumbles. So when you begin to elevate things above him, you elevate a relationship. You put pressure on that relationship. You elevate a career. You put pressure on that career. You, you elevate you elevate health. You put pressure on your health. It brings anxiety and worry and fear. Jesus has no problem saying, nope. Because until you figure out, I am all that you need, your life is always going to be full of anxiety. It's always going to be full of fear. You see, I, I want to practice start saying this to myself when I feel disappointed by God it's because at that moment there's something that I'm longing for more than him because when I realize that he's my greatest good then what what will make something good in my life is whether it brings me more of God that's what makes it good so God if suffering brings me more of you then then it's good if disappointment brings me more of you then it's good if in disappointment i'm crushed to my knees i'm humbled in spirit then it's good if the loss of a job causes me to draw near to you that's good if my marriage starts to crumble because we built my marriage on the wrong thing things outside of jesus we built them on possessions and places and vacations and stuff starts to go bad and it brings me to my knees it's good there I become who I'm supposed to be when I become weak what does the Bible says? say there there he becomes strong in me God has no problem disappointing you why because he loves you so much so here's what I found that we do often on Facebook, on social media in our lives, what do we usually celebrate open doors God you made a way where there seems to be no way God you moved the mountain aren't those the best sermons those are the ones that preach the most You ever watch Christian 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 radio TV read a book it's always about how the next day something good's coming and sometimes the next day's full of pain and limping because God is bringing you to your knees so that you can realize that he is all that you need sometimes God in the moment is going to say no that's not the best sometimes he's going to allow a moment of pain in your life to keep you from a lifetime of suffering And so instead of all the time praising God when you're on the mountaintop, or praising God for an open door, because trust me, I love the open doors. What I want you to do this week is I want you to practice saying thank you when he slams the door closed. God, you're protecting me from something on the other side. God, God, you're keeping me from something. God, if I don't get that promotion, God, something better is out there. God, if this relationship falls apart and you've slammed the door, God, thank you for what you've done. I'm going to praise you even when the door is closed. Instead of just being, listen, immature people always thank God on top of the mountain. You don't believe me? Just watch the next award show. Everybody thanks God. Everybody. I want to thank God. Chance the Rapper, I want to thank God for what he's done in my life. Every church person goes out and gets a CD tomorrow. You guys are fools for doing that. God, I'm going to go, like... I want to thank God. I don't know if He believes in God or not. I want to find the people that, when they're sick, when they're dying, when their marriage is falling apart, when God didn't meet their expectations, in that moment they're mature enough to go, You're still good. You're Lord of my life. What right does the clay have to complain to the potter about? You're the potter, and I trust the works of your hands. You are my greatest good. What brings me more of you is when I'm at the lowest in my life. God, I want to serve you all the rest of my life. That's where you become a mature follower of Christ. That's where you get to see God move in extraordinary ways. That's where you get to receive the immeasurably more plan in in your life. It's not on the mountaintop. It's in the valley.